Section 1 of Eugene Onegin, A Romance of Russian Life in Verse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Eugene Onegin by Alexander Pushkin. Translated by Henry Spaulding. Canto the First. The Spleen. One. My uncle's goodness is extreme, if seriously he hath disease. He hath acquired the world's esteem and nothing more important sees. A paragon of virtue, he. But what a nuisance it will be, chained to his bedside night and day, without a chance to slip away. Ye need dissimulation base, a dying man with art to soothe. Beneath his head the pillow smooth and physic bring with mournful face, to sigh and meditate alone, when will the devil take his own? 2. Thus mused a madcap young, who drove through clouds of dust at postal pace, by the decree of mighty Jove, inheritor of all his race. Friends of Louis Mila and Ruslan, let me present ye to the man who without more prevarication the hero is of my narration. Onegin, O oh my gentle readers, was born beside the Neva. Where it may be ye were born, or there have shown as one of fashion's leaders, I also wandered there of old, but cannot stand the northern cold. 3. Having performed his service truly, Deep into debt his father ran. Three balls a year he gave ye duly, At last became a ruined man. But Eugene was by fate preserved, For first Madame his wants observed, And then Monsieur supplied her place. The boy was wild, but full of grace. Monsieur Abbe, a starving Gaul, Fearing his pupil to annoy, Instructed jestingly the boy, Morality taught scarce at all. Gently for pranks he would reprove, And in the summer gardens rove. 4. When youth's rebellious hour drew near, Then my Eugene the path must trace, The path of hope and tender fear. Monsieur clean out of doors they chase. Lo, my Onegin, free as air, Cropped in the latest style his hair, Dressed like a London dandy, he the giddy world at last shall see. He wrote and spoke, so all aloud, in the French language perfectly, danced the mazurkas gracefully, without the least constraint he bowed. What more is required? The world replies, he is a charming youth and wise. 5. We all of us of education a something somehow have obtained. Thus, praised be God, a reputation with us is easily attained. Onegin was, so many deemed, unerring critics self-esteemed, pedantic, although scholar-like. In truth he had the happy trick without constraint in conversation of touching lightly every theme. Silent, oracular ye'd see him amid a serious disputation, then suddenly discharge a joke the lady's laughter to provoke. 6. Latin is just now not in vogue, but if the truth I must relate, Onegin knew enough 
the rogue, a mild quotation to translate. A little juvenile to spout, with veil, finish off a note. Two verses he could recollect of the Aeneid, but incorrect. In history he took no pleasure. The dusty chronicles of earth for him were but of little worth. Yet still of anecdotes a treasure within his memory there lay, from Romulus unto our day. 7. For empty sound the rascal swore he existence would not make a curse, knew not an I am from a choree, although we read him heaps of verse. Homer, Theocritus, he jeered. But Adam Smith, to read, appeared, and at economy was great. That is, he could elucidate how empires store of wealth unfold, how flourish, why and wherefore less if the new raw product they possess the medium is required of gold. The father scarcely understands his son and mortgages his lands. 8. But upon all that Eugene knew I have no leisure here to dwell, but say he was a genius who in one thing really did excel. It occupied him from a boy, a labor, torment, yet a joy, it whiled his idle hours away, and wholly occupied his day. The amatory science warm, which Ovid once immortalized, for which the poet agonized laid down his life of sun and storm on the steps of Moldavia alone, far from Italy, his own. 9. How soon he learnt deception's art, hope to conceal, and jealousy, false confidence or doubt to impart, sombre or glad in turn to be, haughty appear, subservient, obsequious or indifferent. What languor would his silence show, how full of fire his speech would glow, how artless was the note which spoke of love again and yet again, how deftly he could transport fain, how bright and tender was his look, modest yet daring, and a tear would at the proper time appear. 10. How well he played the greenhorn's part to cheat the inexperienced fair, sometimes by pleasing flattery's art, sometimes by ready-made despair. The feeble moment would espy of tender years, the modesty conquer by passion and address, await the long-delayed caress. A vow then t'was time to pray, attentive to the heart's first beating. Follow up love, a secret meeting arranged without the least delay. Then, then, well, in some solitude lessons to give he understood. 11. How soon he learnt to titillate the heart of the inveterate flirt, desirous to annihilate his own antagonist's expert, how bitterly he would malign, with many a snare their pathway line, but ye, O oh happy husbands, ye with him were friends eternally. The crafty spouse caressed him, who by fabless in his youth was schooled, and the suspicious veteran old, the pompous, swaggering cuckold, too, who floats contentedly through life, proud of his dinners and his wife. 12. One morn, whilst yet in bed he lay, his valet brings him letters three. What? Invitations? The same day as many entertainments be. 
a ball here, there a children's treat. Whither shall my rapscallion flit? Whither shall he go first? He'll see. Perchance he will to all the three. Meantime, in matutinal dress and hat surnamed a boulevard, he hies unto the boulevard, to loiter there in idleness until the sleepless Bourgeot chime announcing to him dinner-time. 13. Tis dark. He seats him in a sleigh. Drive on, the cheerful cry goes forth. His furs are powdered on the way by the fine silver of the north. He bends his course to Talon's, where he knows Caverin will repair. He enters. High the cork arose, and comet champagne foaming flows. Before him red roast beef is seen, and truffles, dear to youthful eyes, flanked by immortal Strasbourg pies, the choicest flowers of French cuisine, and limber cheese alive and old is seen next pineapples of gold. 14. Still thirst, fresh draughts of wine compels to cool the cutlet-seething grease, when the sonorous Bourgeot tells of the commencement of the piece. A critic of the stage malicious, a slave of actresses capricious. Onegin was a citizen of the domains of the side-scene. To the theatre he repairs where each young critic ready stands, capers applauds with clap of hands. With hisses Cleopatra scares. Moina recalls for this alone, that all may hear his voice's tone. 15. Thou fairyland, where formerly shone pungent satyr's dauntless king, von Winzine, friend of liberty, and Knejine, apt at copying. The young Simeonova, too, there with Ozerov was wont to share applause, the people's donative. There our Caterine did revive Corneille's majestic genius. Sarcastic Chatshoskoy brought out his comedies, the noisy rout. There did a lot became glorious. There, there, beneath the side scenes shade, the drama of my youth was played. Sixteen. My goddesses, where are your shades? Do ye not hear my mournful sighs? Are ye replaced by other maids who cannot conjure former joys? Shall I, your chorus here anew, rush as Terpsichore review again in her ethereal dance? Or will my melancholy glance on the dull stage find all things changed, the disenchanted glass direct where I can no more recollect? A careless looker-on estranged, in silence shall I sit and yawn, and dream of life's delightful dawn. 17. The house is crammed. A thousand lamps on pit, stalls, boxes, brightly blaze. Impatiently the gallery stamps. The curtain now they slowly raise. Obedient to the magic strings. Brilliant. Ethereal. There springs forth from the crowd of nymphs surrounding Istomina the nimbly bounding, with one foot resting on its tip slow circling round its fellow swings. And now she skips, and now she springs, like down from Aeolus's lip. Now her lithe form she arches o'er and beats with rapid foot the floor. 18. Shouts of applause. 
Onegin passes between the stalls, along the toes. Seated, a curious look with glasses on unknown female forms he throws. Free scope he yields unto his glance, reviews both dress and countenance, with all dissatisfaction shows. To male acquaintances he bows, and finally he deigns let fall upon the stage his weary glance. He yawns, averts his countenance, exclaiming, We must change em all. I long by ballets have been bored. Now Didelot scarce can be endured. 19. Snakes, satyrs, loves with many a shout across the stage still madly sweep, whilst the tired serving men without wrapped in their sheepskins soundly sleep. Still the loud stamping doth not cease. Still they blow noses, cough, and sneeze. Still everywhere, without, within, the lamps illuminating shine. The steed benumbed still pawing stands, and of the irksome harness tires. And still the coachmen round the fires abuse their masters, rub their hands. But Eugene long hath left the press to array himself in evening dress. 20. Faithfully shall I now depict, portray the solitary den wherein the child of fashion strict dressed him, undressed and dressed again? All that industrial London brings for tallow, wood, and other things across the Baltic's salt sea waves, all which caprice and affluence craves, all which impairs eager taste, choosing a profitable trade, for our amusement ever made and ease and fashionable waste, adorn the apartment of Eugene, philosopher, just turned eighteen. 21. China and bronze the table's weight, amber on pipes from Stamboul glows, and joy of souls effeminate, files of crystal scents enclose. Combs of all sizes, files of steel, scissors both straight and curved as well, of thirty different sorts. Lo, brushes both for the nails and for the tushes. Rousseau, I would remark in passing, could not conceive how serious Grimm dared calmly cleanse his nails for him. Eloquent raver all surpassing, the friend of liberty and laws in this case quite mistaken was. 22. The most industrious man alive may yet be studious of his nails. What boots it with the age to strive? Custom the despot soon prevails. A new caverine, Eugene, mine, dreading the world's remarks malign, was that which we are wont to call a fop in dress pedantical. Three mortal hours per diem he would loiter by the looking-glass, and from his dressing-room would pass like Venus when, capriciously, the goddess would a masquerade attend in male attire arrayed. 23. On this artistical retreat, having once fixed your interest, I might to connoisseurs repeat the style in which my hero dressed, though I confess I hardly dare describe in detail the affair, since words like pantaloons, vest, coat, to ruse indigenous are not, and also that my feeble verse, pardon I ask for such a sin, with words of foreign origin too much I'm given to intersperse, 
though to the academy I come, and oft its dictionary thumb. 24. But such is not my project now. So let us to the ballroom haste, whither at headlong speed doth go Eugene in hackney carriage placed. Past darkened windows and long streets of slumbering citizens he fleets, till carriage lamps, a double row, cast a gay luster on the snow which shines with iridescent hues. He nears a spacious mansion's gate, by many a lamp illuminate, and through the lofty windows views profiles of lovely dames he knows, and also fashionable beau. 25. Our hero stops and doth alight, flies past the porter to the stair, but, ere he mounts the marble flight, with hurried hand smooths down his hair, he enters. In the hall a crowd, no more the music thunders loud, some a mazurka occupies, crushing and a confusing noise. Spurs of the cavalier guard clash, the feet of graceful ladies fly, and following them ye might espy full many a glance like lightning flash, and by the fiddle's rushing sound the voice of jealousy is drowned. End of section 1